You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Breaking news. Grace is going away again. I have a baby shower. <laughs> yeah, it's like they shower you with babies. Yeah. So, sorry. Well, they don't care that I'm gone. They don't care because you're still recording. Or yeah. st- everything's still going to be on time. By the time you listen to this, you won't even know what's happening. She'll have been back by then. Chelsea's just mad because I won't be here at work. It's fine. I'm only on a half day tomorrow. So. Well, take it up with my cousin who got pregnant. What the frick, cousin? I'll let her know you said that. Cool. Thank you. Well, I'm Grace. And I'm Chelsea. We're the Good Evening Girls. Welcome to our crossword oh. crossword podcast. No. Shit. <laughs> there wasn't even anything different about what crosscast I Crosscast podword. Wow. See, it's not that easy. No, it's not. I j- literally just said crossword podcast. Like, <laughs> And you struggled through it. Oh, <laughs> uh, you're... Do we say what the name of this show is called? Two Girls, One Crossword. Yes, that's us. Your weekly review here. Shall we get into our reviews? Do we have any corrections from last week? I don't have any corrections. If we do have corrections, wait, somebody wrote to me. Oh, I do want to say that Jesse uh, Lansner wrote to me. I remember last week I talked about one of the clues was just like a, like a upright, like a double quotation mark. Oh, and the yeah. answer is R-E-W. Well, um, he wrote to me and explained what that meant. God, I didn't put that in my notes. So, But wasn't it that you, your crossword wasn't puzzle. showing the right clue? Yeah, my puzzle was wrong, and I was using the New York Times phone app, and it Apparently, the clue was, quote, um, what are those called? What? Is it the less than or equal? The Oh, yeah, less than or equal to? No, it was less than, less than, or maybe it was greater than, greater than. I'm not very good at math. Um, and then end quote, and the answer was R-E-W. So, but my puzzle was not showing that. Well, thanks a lot, New York Times app. Yeah. Uh, anyway, thanks for that. So that's a corrections corner for you. Should we get into the hits and shites of it? Let's do it. Cool. Um, I want to start off by saying... Um, for those of you who aren't on Facebook, congratulations. But for those of you who are, there is a like a group you can follow. It's like historic houses and stuff like that. And they show you like when they come up for sale. And Just all over the country? In the world. Wow. So um, Nicole, one of our listeners and my close friend, um, sent me one that reminded her of when we were talking about those micronations. Oh, yeah. So there's these things called Solent Forts. Um, and their names are No Man's Fort and Spit Bank Fort, and they're in Portsmouth, England, built in 1860. Um, and they were originally built to, like, repel French invasion, but then they were also used in World War One and World War Two, and then given away by the Ministry of Defense in 1982. They are currently both up for sale right now, and you could have them for yourself at the low, low price of 10.3 million U.S. dollars. That's not bad for a whole fort. No, it's two island micronation types. Like this is, I think these are actually bigger than, um, what was the one we called, the one we did? Seawald? Yes. Seaward? Yes. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it now. It was Seaward. It's not Seaward, it's something sea something. Anyway, so let me give you some some, um, amenities. So No Man's Fort has 23 bedrooms, staff quarters, a restaurant, five bars, a lighthouse, spa, rooftop terrace, and a helipad. Dude, for 10 mil? That's one of Wait, the Wait, do you get two of them for 10 million? Yeah. Oh, that's a good deal. Want to go half on that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I want no man's. Cool. You have the other one. Spitbank has nine bedrooms and staff quarters and nothing else. Very exciting. And that one's more simple. If you just want like a simple island nation. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, just... If you want the spa, you need no man's island. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess I have to sell my helicopter because I don't have a helipad at Spitbank. You can park it at mine if you want. Oh, thanks. Yeah, cool. So that's that. Cool. 
That's um, crazy. Yeah. Who are, they just post that online for people to buy. I feel like that's not something yeah, that you I don't like know. people who can afford that aren't looking online for. Yeah. So I most of the rest of my stuff is shits. So if you want to go in first, I don't care. I have kind of a I have a hit slash shit or just some, we talked about this on Twitter. But these cryptic crosswords we tried to do. The incubator came out with like a one off cryptic number two crossword by Stephanie Sarah or Kara Sarah C E R R A, and we are really bad at it. Yes. I can't even. Di- okay, this is an example of a cryptic crossword clue for those who don't know. And these are very popular in England, apparently. Oh, they would be. Okay. 14 across. Movies from Backward Guys and Spy Organization. How many letters? Six. So the answer was cinema because spy organization is men in black. No, spy organization is CIA. CIA. Sorry. And so backwards, I... A I C with men in the middle. I don't know. It's a whole thing. I can't even. It's hard to describe over talking. But basically, the only one we got, like without having to look it up or get any help, was posh like a cracker five, and it was ritzy. Although I feel like that could almost just be a regular crossword clue. Exactly. Posh like a cracker question mark ritzy. I would yeah say. So we sucked at it, but we did. It was fun to try something different. Yeah, and we're gonna continue trying. But um. Yeah, everyone told us just to keep like looking at questions and their answers to kind of figure out how you get there. Yeah. I think that's what we have to do. Yeah. It just takes the, we, it takes practice. And like right now we're trying to make sure that we do at least one crossword a day, sometimes multiple crosswords a day to be able to do this podcast. It's like, do I have time to learn how to do a cryptic crossword right now? My brain was hurting. Yeah. She was like, what's going on? I had to just disengage yeah um another this is kind of a hit more of something that kind of tripped us up at the lunch table uh, on monday's new york times drink brand with a polar bear in its logo everyone was (laughs) like oh it's coke but it's not i mean everyone knows there's no polar bear in the coke logo but polar bears are like coke's mascot right especially at christmas yeah but it was icy yeah which i like that yeah because other people were saying polar the like ginger ale type brand yeah but the it was only four letters um, but Icy is a good one because I wouldn't have thought of that as like a... Yeah, but they do have a polar bear if they you do. ever got it at the movie theaters. Yeah. Um, those are all my <clears throat> hits. The, my others are just shits. Okay. Um, I just have one more. All right. Let me hop into some of my shits then. So Saturday, November 2nd, New York Times, this was the Palo Pasco and Erica Gard oh, yeah. puzzle. Who, whom we love. Yes, we love them. Um, and like because of like having done other puzzles for a while now. Um, I had really high hopes for this puzzle, and I was really excited about it, um, especially because their fir- like their intro clue, like the opening cl- uh, clue and answer was amazing. 1A, 2008 Lil Wayne hit, whose title is slang for lots of money. <laughs> the answer is Amelie, which is one of those like famous songs um, from our youth. <laughs> I may or may not know all the words to it. Yeah, right? Like, I still listen to it to this day. I just thought that was a really great clue and a really cool... Um, like opening, like first, like one across to have. You right rarely there. see Lil Wayne in the New York Times. <laughs> rarely or like never. Okay, so like I said, I had high hopes, but I think there's three clues and answers in this puzzle that need to be talked about. The first, 32 across, blank party, all female get together. Hen party. Yes. Okay, and so like I have a problem with this. When I filled it in, I was like, hen party, that kind of sounds derogatory. Don't they use the word hen in like a way to kind of talk about like fussy women, you know? Yeah. Um, or whatever. 
So then I looked it up. Hen in the United States, defined by the Merriam-Webster dictionary, a woman, especially a fussy middle-aged woman. And so in, in England, though, isn't that bachelorette party? So, yeah, people – so there was, like, a huge to-do about it on Twitter this weekend about whether or not this was, like, a derogatory term for women. And it is very, like, regional. But at the end of the day, like, this came out in the New York Times and hen in the United States is, like, you know, a negative term yeah. for a woman. So that was just, like, annoying. I was like, come on. Like, any other clue for hen would have done perfectly fine. Yeah. Um this was a really frustrating one, too. 45 across, women's name, that's an anagram of two men's name. We often talk about how women never get clued in the crossword as proper nouns. It's always just like a clue for a random name, whereas men always get like, it's like a scientist or an author or whatever that has that specific name. Right. So this one just made me laugh because I was like, I feel like they're just doing this on purpose now. Right. It was like, wait, is this a joke? Like, are they, are, are they, are they pranking us? Yeah. Wait, so what is the? The answer is Edna. Okay, so I think for Dean and um, I can't even think of anagram for two other names. Dean and Dane. Oh right. You okay, know, the which common are, male name Dane? Exactly. So then I'm like, okay, Google Edna, and the very first result that comes up is Edna Mode from The Incredibles. Yeah. So like, if you are really like averse to cluing a real woman, you yeah. could just use Edna Mode. It's well, amazing. you could use her. I forget who's the actress that plays her, but she's famous, the actress that voiced Edna. You could say, right. like, this person's, obviously, I'm not coming up with this clue, but, like, yeah. this person's animated counterpart or something. Right. Or if you really don't want to clue women at all, you could do eDNA. Because, like, I feel like at that point, it's just really offensive anymore to just. If there's a famous Edna, or if there's even something else, like, just don't use. Men to define women, or these stupid clues that don't actually have any meaning. So, cool. Cool. I was frustrated, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's not like I don't see it every other time in the New York Times. So this last one is, I didn't see anybody, like, talking shit about this on Twitter or online or anywhere. But if you agree with me, let me know. Um, and if you don't, then whatever. But, so 55 across. Allen Ginsberg, for example. And the answer was beat poet. The answer, beat poet, is amazing. I love that the Beat Poet is in the crossword. I think it's an interesting uh, answer. And I also love the Beat Generation because, I mean, we all went through high school. I mean, I don't know about you, but I read On the Road. and I, <laughs> I was did like, go through high school, yes. I read On the Road and it changed my life. I read Hal, it changed my life. Um, but that's not to say that Allen Ginsberg isn't one of the most problematic <laughs> American authors, in my personal opinion. Um, has anybody here heard of NAMBLA? Do you know what NAMBLA is? No, there's only one person in this room, and it's me. Yes. No. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the North American Man-Boy Love Association. Man-Boy Love? Is this like a pedophile thing? It's a pedophile advocacy organization, okay? What? <laughs> um, and it works to abolish age-of-consent laws, criminalizing adult sexual involvement with minors, and campaigns for releases of men who have been jailed for sexual contact with minors that did not involve coercion, whatever that means. Okay. Any sexual relationship with minor involves some type of manipulation. Yes, Because you does. know that it's wrong and you're trying to Yes, and they're not, not old enough to know what's happening. And, okay, so for those of you who don't know, Allen Ginsberg was an affiliated member of NAMBLA, okay? And he has said, quote, attacks on NAMBLA stink of politics, witch hum hunting for profit, humorlessness, vanity, anger, and ignorance. I'm a member of NAMBLA because I love boys, too. Everybody does. Who has a, a little humanity? No. No, it's that's not true. <laughs> it's disgusting. Disgusting. And he is 
Allen Ginsberg is canonized. And I feel like people need to like realize this about certain, like all your faves are problematic. We say that a lot here on this podcast, but like I went through a period of time where I idolized Allen Ginsberg and then I learned about him and his problematic past in like his advocacy for a pedophilia organization. And the fact that he comes out and says, I love boys too. It's like, he must be in doing something doing something so like you need to like check your shit and check the people that you are idolizing and then change your opinions about them no Allen Ginsberg should not just be fucking clued as a beat poet be like at least say like pedophilic beat poet (laughs) I mean hello and like you could have used they could have used any other beat poet that would have been really cool. It's a freaking Saturday. You don't have to use Allen Ginsberg, who everybody knows is a beat poet. You could use Lawrence, what's his name, Ferlinghetti or Elise <laughs> Cohen. You could have used anyone else. Yeah. I f- we do say your faves are problematic, and it is, like, I mean, no one is perfect, even celebrities, obviously. But I think there's also a difference between, like, saying, you know, doing something wrong and, like, owning up to it versus there's some things that you just have to draw a hard line at, and pedophilia is one of them, in my opinion. Like, you cannot come back from that. You can't, like, you know, I mean, you can apologize, but I feel like you can't erase if if you've been, like, involved in pedophilic behavior. It's something that I think is unforgivable. I Um, agree. And so it's so heinous and so manipulative and, like, you're making a choice to do yes, it. Yes, and you're, yeah. cr- you're, you're fostering trauma in someone's life. You just are. And anyway, so seeing him clued like that was really frustrating. And I'm, yeah. So the whole puzzle was a disappointment. Um, although I do have to say that my favorite clue f- and answer from the whole week was in the puzzle, which it was made it equally frustrating. <laughs> so 24 down, the uh, clue was reversible word. And the, the word is, excuse my pronunciation, s'mored. Nilap, nilap, samord nilap, samord nilap, which is a word phrase oh, sentence that is a property of forming another word phrase or sentence when reversed. So samord nilap is palindromes backwards, which I just thought was fun. Yeah, that is fun. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's like literally all I had because I I was just so hyped up over that puzzle that I needed to talk about it. No, that's fair. I just have one kind of shit. Just like I can kind of understand why they did this, but I feel like we kind of made a comment about it when we were doing the Monday New York Times crossword by Trent H. Evans. The theme was 59 across genre for Slayer and Iron Maiden or a hint to four other clues. And it was metal music. (laughs) And I understand why they did that because all the four other clues had to do with music, like rock band with the 2001 hit How You Remind Me is Nickelback and Mm -hmm. Nickel is Metal. Classic Christmas song, City Sidewalks. Busy sidewalks is silver bells, but no one says metal music. Like, what's your favorite genre of music? Metal music. Nobody yeah, it's just like heavy metal or just metal. I mean, right? Granted, I don't know that much about metal, the metal drum uh, genre. So maybe people do refer to it as that. I just never heard. Me- it. It just, no, I can tell you from somebody who lives yeah. with a metal head that no, <laughs> we do not use we metal wrote, music. Like metal, and then we we're like, what's metal? What is it? And then we we're like, metal music. Okay, yeah. sure. Anyways. Yeah, it's like hair metal, heavy metal, like post hardcore core or whatever like no you don't say metal music anyway so that was yeah one we so were like, everyone listen to your metal music <laughs> we're getting into our topics now do you want to do the coin flip i'm gonna do the coin flip <clears throat> dun, 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 dun. oh the micronation was sealand uh, sorry what's c word is something i don't know it's it's a place you I'm do the sure coin flip and I'll i'm doing it. the coin flip flipping the coin 
Heads. Who's that's that? you. Oh, that's me. I yeah. always forget. Sorry. <laughs> I'm Tails, baby. Cool. Cool, cool. All right. Shall we get into it? Did you find anything on C-Word? C-Word, it's um, a musical artist, so no. Oh, wait, hold on. But C-word with one E is a city in Alaska that I've... Okay. Um, I was in Alaska. <laughs> oh, there she is. <laughs> and I went there. Okay. That's, that's wow, why I know you're... that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've just... I've traveled so many places. It's all just like... Blurring mm-hmm. together yeah. now. Micronation, city in Alaska. You know. <laughs> Who is she? Okay, cool. <laughs> so let's get to it. My... Topic comes from the Monday New York Times, November 4th, by Trent H. Evans, 45 down, one of Dracula's forms. A bat. And the answer was bat. And so I'm talking about Dracula and vampires today. (gasps) Yay! Yay! Wait, but it's not our Twilight episode. I know. We're only going to talk about Twilight like like a a drop, like a whoop. Okay. Okay. Not like a full thing. So I'm going to give you a little rundown about Dracula first. Um, It was a gothic horror novel by Bram Stoker, published in 1887, and it introduced the character of Count Dracula uh, and established many conventions of subsequent vampire fantasy. Cool. So for those of you who are casuals and have never read Dracula, I'm going to give you a quick little rundown. I don't know if I've actually read it. Really? The whole thing. I think I've read it multiple times from different English courses throughout my life. No. Sorry. Must be nice. Okay, so... It's an epistolatory novel, um, so comprised of journal entries, letters, and telegrams written by the main characters, um, which actually I really don't like that type of novel, but whatever, do your thing, Stoker, I guess. Um, And it follows the story of an English solicitor whose name is John Harker. He goes to Transylvania to visit Count Dracula to kind of broker a real estate transaction. He's super nervous about the visit because he's nervous about being somewhere he's never been before, and Transylvania has this like kind of like spooky different otherworldly vibe to it he should be nervous that he's meeting with oh but does, does he not know he's a vampire he has no okay. idea um and like when he's there he he's like very super he's very nervous and then the peasants have like all these like weird superstitious fears about the countryside that they live in and harker eventually finds out that the reason they're afraid is because they're afraid of dracula who he finds out is a vampire the count eventually feeds on harker leaves him weak hopeless imprisons him and then travels to london himself so Dracula leaves Harker in Transylvania and goes to London, where he uses his powers against Harker's fiance, Mina. <gasps> she didn't do anything. She didn't do anything. Dracula then attacks Mina's best friend, Lucy. Um, and Lucy becomes super sick. So Mina calls in a doctor um, and tries to care for them. They cannot cure her. And so this doctor consults another doctor named Dr. Van Helsing. <gasps> Dr. Van Helsing will become an archetype for vampire hunters in pop culture in the years to come. Um, so hmm. Dr. Van Helsing like looks over Lucy and understands that her illness has been caused by a vampire bite. <gasps> Is she turning into a vampire or what's the deal? I guess we'll find out. John Harker returns from England. He breaks through his trance. Lucy passes away, but then turns into a vampire and begins attacking children. I called it. Yes. They kill Lucy by driving a stake through her heart. And then Dr. Van Helsing, Mina, and Harker go across London and destroy all of Dracula's coffins, which he's hidden throughout London. Dracula then returns to Transylvania, where Van Helsing tracks him down and kills him. Nice. Yeah. So... It was not an immediate bestseller, but it reached iconic status in the 20th century when, a mo- when like, the movie adaptation started. Um, and it did not make money for Stoker, or at least not a lot. Um, in the last year of his life, he was so poor that he had to petition for a grant from the Royal Literary Fund. Um, and his widow was forced to sell his notes and outlines of the novel at a Sotheby's auction in thir- 1913 um, when they were purchased for a little over two pounds. 
Oh, my God. Woof. Okay, so this is what we keep talking about. People, you know, sometimes you make something and no one likes it, and then, like, 20 years later, everyone loves it. So. Yeah, 20 years after you die, which is, like, not that long. Yeah, so woof. Don't, don't worry about rejection, y'all, okay? It's part right. of life. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't. You might die poor and unloved, but someone might love you But later. you will be remembered. <laughs> remember, remember, the 5th of November. Um Anyway, so then F.W. Murnau, um, who's a filmmaker, released an unauthorized adaptation of the f- of the story as like a film in 1922 in the form of Nosferatu. <laughs> you've all probably seen Nosferatu, or you've probably seen the SpongeBob episode, <laughs> <laughs> or um, you've seen the stills where he like looks like a kind of like ratty. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Stoker's wife actually sued the filmmakers. Um, and because of this legal battle, uh, the novel's popularity skyrocketed. She was like, this Nosferatu character really looks like Dracula. <laughs> yeah. So um, we're going to talk a little bit about, like, the analysis of Dracula and how the themes of Dracula are prevalent across most, if not all, vampire stories in one way or another. The first is the fear of the outsider. There's tons, but I'm only going to focus on two. Wait, so... She, like, made up vampires. Sorry, she, he made up vampires. No, we're going to talk about okay. this. So he popularized vampires into, like, more of, like, a pop culture phenomenon because okay. before vampires were more folkloric, which we'll talk about. So um, one of the themes of Dracula and vampire stories in general is fear of the outsider. So Dracula's national origin is a huge part of what makes him threatening to the other characters. Um, and Dracula even says to Harker, quote, our ways are not your ways, and there shall be to you many strange things. So he separates himself from Harker. Um, Dracula is a literal embodiment of foreign invasion. So he's from Transylvania, and he travels to London. um, And it explains why the men of the story are so determined to drive Dracula back to Transylvania. So think about, like, this nationalism of, like, these British, you know, heroes are trying to drive the invading foreigner back to his home country. Yeah. so Dracula poses like a literal threat of contaminating local bloodlines with foreign influence through like literal blood transfusion. Biting people, yeah. yeah. Um, vampire, vampirism is used as a critique to explain social fears that plague many ages, um, specifically with focuses on racial and sexual fear. Um, uh, vampires are a way for the masses to critique what they don't know and what's foreign to them. Um, and they're Vampires, like, act on these, like, transgressive parts of their personality, so sexuality and their ethnic otherness. Um, And so masses are able to take their hatred of the unknown and put it onto the hatred of vampires. Mm -hmm. So, and as is the case with many vampire stories, we see the theme of the threat of female sexual impairment and expression. So are you familiar with Victorian morality? No. Okay. So... Dracula came out in Victorian England, um, and Victorian morality describes any sets of values that um, champion sexual restraint, low tolerance of crime, and a strict social code of conduct. All right, we talked about this with the tea leaf reading. Exactly. At the same time. Yeah, and so it was during this like Victorian morality era where there's a sharp rise in prosecutions for illegal sodomy and also prostitution. Oh. Yeah. So the theme of prostitution. Um, introduced the idea of this, quote, fallen woman or any woman who has sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Um, and that became huge in and thematic in a lot of Victorian literature at the time and in politics. So then there's this thing of called the cult of true womanhood, which is like a set of moralistic beliefs about what a woman is supposed to be like mm-hmm. in 
you know, the Victorian age. Oh, my goodness. I keep getting like a million text messages right now. It's so annoying. Um, so the cult of womanhood dictated that submissiveness, purity, and piety were the traits of a true lady. Um, and the only woman deemed worthy of marriage were those who abstained from sexual activity. Women were not allowed to talk about sex or want to have sex. So Dracula indulges this Victorian, like, ideology, particularly regarding to the topic of female sexuality. So <clears throat> as a Victorian woman, you had two options. You were either a virgin, which is like a model of purity and innocence, or you were a wife and mother. If you were neither of those things, you were considered, quote, a whore and mm. thus no consequence to society. I agree. <laughs> so the two women in the novel, Mina and Lucy, are both chaste, pure, um, and innocent, devoted to their men. Um, Dracula and vampirism threatens this idyllic and admittedly two-dimensional embodiment. Once Lucy is turned, she becomes a raving vampire vixen, and the men see no other outcome than to destroy her. Well, so, and that's a huge theme in a lot of vampire lit. So, let's talk about Dracula's forms and powers and weaknesses, shall we? Let's. So he's said to have gained all of his powers through the dealings with the devil. So he has superhuman strength. He can lift an equivalent of 20 strong men, um, does not cast a shadow, has no reflection in mirrors, immune to conventional forms of attack. So someone tries to stab him in the novel, and it goes through him like air. Um, he has superhuman agility. He's able to climb vertical spaces or surfaces upside down. He can travel on unhallowed ground like graves of suicide victims. LOL. He <laughs> That's a, I, know. I thought all graves were unhallowed. Or all, like, grave sites. No, graves are hollowed if they're, like, you're buried in, like, the Christian way. Oh. Yeah. I'm uh, not. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he is, he has the power of hypnosis, telepathy. He has illusion abilities. He can vanish and reappear elsewhere. He's immortal. He can command animals. So, like, rats, bats, owls, moths, foxes, wolves, manipulate the weather. And he is a shapeshifter. So his shapeshifting. <laughs> what can't he do at this well, point? Right. And so I think it's important to say that because he... You're just taking all of these powers to make this the most frightening creature you possibly can because then it kind of, like, covers all your bases. And as long as – if you are not, like, a white Christian person, like, it within the Church of England, then anything else is evil and therefore yeah. foreign and therefore needs to be driven back. So that fear of the otherness, right? Um, so Dracula can change his form at will. He's able to grow and become small. And his featured forms in the novel are bats, wolves, large dogs, fogs, or mists. He can just be a mist. <laughs> yes, he can be a mist. How are you supposed to run from that? <laughs> You're not. Um, actually, one of the... If you watch the Dracula film um, from... Oh, which one is it? Is it the Bela Lugosi one? When the, the mist comes, it's super eerie. It's really cool. Anyway, so weaknesses. What can't he do? Eat onions. It's garlic. Oh, that's what I meant. Yeah. So weaknesses, bloodlust and thirst. So when he has that bloodlust, he can't control it. Um, religious symbolism like crucifixes, death sleep, which is that need to sleep during the day. And um, garlic is not actually for this version of a vampire. Oh. Um, another thing I want to note, and this is like, you know, here we go. Dracula is feared by the local people in Transylvania, but... He commands the loyalty of the Romani people and a band of Slovak people who transport his possessions while he's away on London. Um, so the Slovaks and Romani appear to know his true nature because they laugh at Harker when he tries to communicate his plight. And they betray Harker's attempt to send a letter through um, by giving it to the Count. And if this was Twitter and that had been a tweet, the racist watch w watchism dog would have retweeted it and like started barking because 
the Romanian Slovak people, like the Eastern European, yeah. um, are like a subjugated people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just so typical that like this like white fucking, well, he was Irish Bram, but like yeah. the sense of nationalism of just like shitting on anybody that's even a little bit different than you. Wake up, sheeple. So, is this the first depiction of vampirism? No. Vampire is like an ancient creature from folklore. Um, and in these tales, the creature is able to exist by feeding on the vital essence, generally blood, of the living. Um, cultures such as Mesopotamians, Hebrews, ancient Greeks, the Manipuri, and Romans had tales of demons and spirits, which are considered precursors to the modern vampire. Despite these appearances, um, the folklore that we know today originates mainly from 18th century Europe. There is even early reports and early in like the 18th century reports of mass hysteria in like the Balkans or Eastern Europe that resulted in like graves being torn up and people like staking people through um, because they thought they were vampires. Oh my gosh, get a grip people. (laughs) I know, I know. So there's actually um, a really helpful graph on Wikipedia about all the various recorded traits of vampires across all folklores and appearances in media. So if you're interested in learning more detailed descriptions about all the vampires that have ever existed ever, um, definitely check there. Um, And I'm going to list a few qualities of how vampires are depicted across all these different spectrums of folklore and films. Um, We're going to talk first about their appearance. So skin color, mainly like in a historical sense, vampires are considered ruddy or dark. So like they have like really ruddy skin, which looks like they've just been feeding because it's like mm-hmm. really red or they're dark to kind of depict their otherness. But other depictions are they just have ordinary skin color. They're pale. They're white, bloodless, red for female vampires. LOL. Red skin. Yeah. Lavender. Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> or sparkly. Twilight. Most common is pale. So across all of these, like on the chart, the most common skin type was pale. Um, so fangs, sometimes they have fangs, sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're retractable, sometimes they're leech-like, so they're in the inner mouth, and sometimes they're shark-like. I feel like I would want retractable fangs, because they'd be kind of annoying to have, like, your day-to-day. I agree. But when you need them, to just be like, think, and then they, like, See? shoot out. Yeah, exactly. Um, so reflection, sometimes they have a reflection, sometimes they don't, and sometimes it's faded or murky. Attractiveness. Historically, <clears throat> vampires are bloated because they drink so much blood. <laughs> Ew. But different depictions of um, attractiveness. First um, of all, you can be bloated and attractive, Chelsea. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. I'm bloated right now. Um, so in other variants, um, vampires will release pheromones to make people attracted to them. Other times they're depicted as young, seductive, and alluring. Other times they're hideous but have hypnotizing eyes. Sometimes they're just plain ordinary. And in Anne Rice's anthology, all are beautiful, and the transformation enhances their beauty. Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Yes. Count The Count from Sesame Street. <laughs> <laughs> so weaknesses. Um, stake to the heart, usually hawthorn, ash, or oak. They're nocturnal. Decapitation, drowning, fire, silver, garlic, holy symbols, running water, and arithmomania, which you talked about when you were talking about the count. Um, They're obsessed with counting. Counting. Um, So powers. They're immortal, enhanced strength, speed, uh, uh, senses of healing, flight, shape-shifting, psychic control of animals, walk on walls and ceilings, astral projection, control of the elements, dream manipulation, which is scary, sexual prowess, and seduction. Are you scared of that, Chelsea? (laughs) Of a vampire... (laughs) Manipulating your dreams? (laughs) Yes, actually. Um, So reproduction, how do they reproduce? Well, (laughs) (laughs) 
When a man <laughs> loves a woman very, very much. Okay, so some vampires are fertile and can, like, you know, do it the normal way. Some are not. Some males can only reproduce with female vampires. Um, some re- reproduce only through biting. Some reproduce <laughs> through blood transfusion. Some reproduce by feeding their blood to their victim. And that's the most common one, I think. And some are inhibited by demons. Okay, but if so, you're talking about like reproducing, making a baby vampire. Yeah, but or a new vampire. But don't. Oh, okay. Not so necessarily like turning a baby. an adult into a vampire. Yeah, reproduction for them doesn't necessarily mean having like a baby that grows okay. up. Because I'm saying vampires. This might bugaboo with Twilight. Vampires are supposed to say, say the same age, but in in Twilight she's half vampire, half human. Mm-hmm. But well, that's the thing. They, like, they did it that way so that she could grow up. She wasn't a child forever. The the idea that vampires stay the same age is one aspect of many many yeah. types of lores out there. So there's there's no true like this is the original vampiric lore that they're supposed. That's just what we've yeah. been fed. Well, I feel like if they're shapeshifters, they could just shapeshift to a younger like mm-hmm. they don't follow the same rules that mm-hmm. we do. So, diet. Human blood. blood, souls, animal blood, raw meat, artificial blood. What the fuck is that? Um, and some can eat human food. Um, there's the book Discovery of Witches, which has a vampire in it, and he really likes wine. Because mm, it looks like blood. Yeah, so I'm just like, wow. Um, bite effects on humans. Sometimes it's burning. Sometimes it's pleasurable. <laughs> sometimes it's intoxicating. Um, most times it leaves fang marks. Um, there's sometimes emotional and physical euphoria, paralyzation, entrancement, or death. <gasps> yes. So I want to talk about some specific cultural lore from different cultures. In Slavic and Chinese traditions, any corpse that was jumped over by an animal, particularly a dog or a cat, was feared to become one of the undead. <laughs> In Russian folklore, vampires were said to have been witches once or people who had rebelled against the Russian Orthodox Church. <laughs> Churches are if wild. If you rebel against us, <laughs> then you become a vampire, okay? Exactly. Okay. I don't think the Bible says anything about vampires. So, mm, prevention of becoming the undead. Burying a corpse upside down was widespread, as was placing earthly objects like sickles near the grave. Um, so, you could also sever the tendons at the knees <gasps> or place poppy seeds, millet, or sand on the ground. Yeah, then they have to count them. Yeah. Can you imagine? Ooh, counting sand? No. No, the, oh. the severing of tendons. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess they're dead, but still. Ow. Woof. I might need those wherever I'm going. <laughs> I think you like this one. So finding a vampire. Lead a virgin boy through a graveyard or church grounds on a virgin stallion. Dude, that's what I did last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> the horse would supposedly balk at the grave in question. Wow. So I need to find a virgin boy. Good luck. And a, a horse. A virgin stallion. How do I know what a, if a horse has had sex before? I guess I have, have to, to raise, raise it. it. Okay. <laughs> Jesus. I know. I know. We, this is what you have to do. I know. That's what I have to do. I to know. know that. Okay. Doesn't mean it's still not going to be hard. Um, so corpses thought to be vampires were generally described as having a healthier appearance than expected, um, like plump and showing no signs of decompositions. So this is because people would go into the graves and open them up, and if it looked like you were still alive and like whatever, then they're like, you're a vampire. And stab you through the heart. Get a grip. Right. Methods of destruction be staking um, um, through the heart, but you get staked through the mouth in Russia. Um, and the Romani people drove steel or iron, iron needles into a corpse's heart and placed bits of steel in the mouth over the eyes. 
ears and between the fingers. People were really scared that these <laughs> that these people were vampires. They were. I'm going to quickly go through some vampires in pop culture. So vampires appear in ballet, film, lit, music, opera, theater, paintings, whatever. The Vampire, which is a 1913 film, was the very first vampire film. Um, and then there's Universal's famous depiction of Dracula, which stars Bela Lugosi. Bela Lugosi was buried wearing his Dra- Dracula cape costume. Oh. Yeah. There's a distinct subgenre of vampire films, um, ultimately d- inspired by Le Fanon's Carmilla, which is my favorite vampire story of all time, um, explores the topic of lesbian vampirism. Um, so, like, films like Blood and Roses from 1960s or The Vampire Lovers from 1970, which is, like, almost an exact retelling of Carmilla, but with, like, a lot of violence and sex. Um, So, yeah. Another development in some vampire films has been the change from supernatural horror to science fiction. So there's The Last Man on Earth, which was 1964, The Omega Man, which is 1971, and both of those were based off of the Richard Matheson novel, I Am Legend. Have you read I Am Legend? I have not. Surprise. Sorry. Spoiler alert. So there's race is another theme. We've talked about race before, but there's the black exploitation pictures, Blackula, 1972. Um, some contemporary vampire films that you all might know: Interview with a Vampire, Twilight, Blade, Van Helsing, Queen of the Damned, From Dust Till Dawn. Um, Twilight and Interview with a Vampire both have their fair share of problems. Yeah. Um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, True Blood, Vampire Diaries, American Horror Story Hotel, they're all immensely popular TV shows about vampires. There's definitely a vampire phase that happened yes. when Twilight came out and True Blood and all that stuff. Right. Um, Twilight uh, is a vampire book series written by Stephanie Meyer, has sold over 100 million copies with translations into 37 different languages. Uh, Meyer was the best-selling author of 2008 and 2009 in the U.S. and sold over 29 million books in 2008 and 26.5 million in 2009. Um, Twilight films are the most commercially successful vampire film series with a combined budget of $373 million, and the five film series earned $3.34 billion worldwide, shattering, like, box office things. Yeah. Um, so despite the commercial success, the films were extensively criticized. Breaking Dawn Part 2 won seven Razzie Awards, including Worst Picture, Worst Sequel, Worst Screen Couple for Taylor Lautner and Mackenzie Foy. <laughs> If you don't know, oh, it's so bad. I, I don't want to get too much into it, but there is this one part at, if you know Twilight, you know that she has to choose between like a vampire and a werewolf. And this is a huge spoiler if you care. But at the very end, she chooses the vampire and like everyone's kind of like, oh, but the werewolf is all sad now because of course a lot of fans liked him. So then I think like in order to make him have a happy ending, the uh, the girl and the vampire have a baby and the werewolf like falls in love with the baby because werewolves can imprint on people and then it's like that that's their person to protect for the rest of their life so they try and make it seem like it's not romantic now but it definitely will be later and the werewolf is like 20 and the baby is like well she grows really fast she's like three and he imprints on her and it's like what we're supposed to accept this like they're dating now i don't know now we're back to pedophilia on this podcast it's just it always comes back around yeah that is there's so many weird things with that book, but... Yeah, no, it's fucked up. Um, so there's a, a web series of Car- Carmilla is, like, a famous vampire story, like, um, and a Canadian group of people produced a web series, actually, and it was released on 
um, YouTube in August of 2014, and it's based on the Sheridan Le Fano series. Um, and it takes place at a fictional university in Austria, and it's told through blogs recorded by the main character, Lara. Um, Lara begins investigating the disappearance of her roommate, and she's assigned a new roommate named Carmilla. Um, and so it's been praised by blogs and indie publications for its near all-female cast and representations of various LGBT characters. Um, and then it, it's won a bunch of awards. Um, and I really liked this version because I think Carmilla does a lot of really interesting things with, um, you know, sexuality and, like, especially women's sexuality. Mm-hmm. The original and the web series. Uh, quickly going to talk about vampires in real life. Okay. <laughs> um, so there are... S- subcultures of people who identify themselves oh, as vampires. Right. I've seen them <laughs> on like the Tyra Banks show. Yes. Um, and so these subcultures have either, they're either uh, psychic vampires or, or sanguinarian vampires. Um, and so sanguinarian vampi- vampirism is what involves blood consumption and psychic vampirism um, are pr- practitioners that who believe they're drawing spiritual nourishment from like an auric energy. So if I was a psychic vampire, I could like draw power from you through your energy and then you would be left like really like drained. Mm -hmm. So last podcast on the left actually has a great episode of psychic vampirism if you're interested for more. And then for those interested in learning more about sanguinarians, there's an episode um, of the doc series Dark Tourism you can watch as well. Um, So the basic beliefs of vampirism like in real life is the value of the individual over that of a group. So... As a vampire, you have to constantly challenge anything opposing individual freedom. Um, So then, like, there's also, like, in response to this rising vampire subculture, there's a pseudo-Christian counter-movement of self-possessed vampire slayers that oppose the notion of real vampires. Um, And then they slay and swarm vampire websites online with hate mail. Wow. Who knew that that existed? Yeah. So There's something for everyone out there, guys. Yeah, so be... As long as you're not hurting anyone. Be yourself, exactly. Do whatever you want. Yeah, there is actually a type of vampirism where people drink their own blood, which is weird to me. Little, little. Yeah, so. Tastes like pennies. That's that's what I got for you today. Cool. Well, my topic is also kind of spooky. <gasps> but mine's nice. real. Real? Yeah. So mine is from the, uh, the New Yorker on Monday, November 4th by Natan Last. And the clue is 27 across, org that discovered the wow signal in space. Hmm. And the organization is SETI, S-E-T-I. That comes up in Crosswords a lot. Do you know what it is? Um, It's like an alien organization. Yeah. So it stands for Searching for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. Oh. Yeah. So the wow signal, it's wow with exclamation after it. Um, This was a strong radio signal that was received on August 15th, 1977 by Ohio State University's Big Ear Radio Telescope. So at the time, the telescope was being used for SETI, which is just a term that means search for extraterrestrial intelligence. So before this, in 1959, a Cornell University physicists Philip Morrison and Giuseppe Cocconi wrote in a paper that aliens that communicate via radio signals might do so at a frequency of 1420 megahertz. Um, They thought this because that is the frequency that's naturally emitted by hydrogen, and hydrogen is the most common element in the universe and therefore likely familiar to all technologically advanced civilizations. Okay. So we're like, if aliens are out there, this is their radio frequency that they're going to be communicating to us at. So, um, in 1973, Ohio State used its radio observatory that they called Big Ear to search for 
ET intelligence. And in 1977, an astronomer named Jerry Amen, or Eman, he was working for SETI as a volunteer, and he discovered a series of values of signal intensity and frequency that they had never seen before. So like a couple days, he was like looking through the reports. It was a couple days after. And he wrote next to it, wow, with exclamation point. So that it's been hmm. become known as the wow signal. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So the signal was measured using the alphanumeric sequence 6EQUJ5. Some people think that this is a message from the aliens, but it's actually just represents the intensity variation of the radio signal over time, whatever that means. They're, they like <laughs> went into deep like explanation about radio signals and all the stuff they didn't understand. But if you've ever seen like 6EQUJ5, it comes up a lot in movies and stuff, um, but it doesn't actually, it's not really like a message from the aliens. That's just the way the radio mm-hmm. frequency was measured. So there are two different values given for the signal's frequency by two different scientists. One says it's 1420.36 megahertz, and the other one says it's 1420.41 megahertz. Um, I'm sorry, 1420.36, and the other one says uh, 1420.46, so they're like 10 apart. They're both very close to 1420.41, which is the hydrogen um, emission. And weirdly, the two values are the exact same distance from the hydrogen Hmm. line. at the time of the observation, the big ear could, which was the name of the telescope, could only observe any given point for 72 seconds. If that was just based on where it was pointing and like the rotation of the Earth and all that stuff. So they thought that if they did see like a signal from extraterrestrial life, it would be expected to register for exactly 72 seconds, and the intensity would like increase. Um, and then peak at the middle of 72 seconds and then go back down as the radio signal like moved away from it. And that's exactly what happened with Hmm. the wow signal. The precise location in the sky where the signal originated is uncertain, but the region is in the Sagittarius constellation. So any Sagittarius people out there? This is for you, baby. This is for you. Um, Okay, so if it wasn't aliens, then what could it be? A number of hypotheses have have been advanced as to the source and nature of the wow signal. However, none of them have been like have had widespread acceptance. Um, so there basically have been a bunch of different ideas for what this could be, but they really haven't been able to pin it down, um, alien or not. In a 1997 paper, Amen, who was the guy who found it or who recognized it. Um, says that he doesn't want to draw vast conclusion from half vast data, and he acknowledges that the source may have been military or otherwise a product of earthbound humans. Um, another guy who's involved in SETI, Douglas Vakoch, told um, a paper that um, any SETI signal detections must be replicated for confirmation, and the lack of such replication for the WOW signal means it lacks credibility. Hmm. So they were never able to find it again. Hmm. They just found it that one time and they kept searching for it and they weren't able to find it again. In 2017, Antonio Paris proposed that the hydrogen cloud that was surrounding the two comets, Christensen and Gibbs, who were in the same position as where the wow signal like was picked up, could have uh, caused this high hmm. frequency. However, um, a lot of people say that this is not true. The, a lot of the members of the original Big Ear research team have done detailed analysis and show that these comments were not in the beam at the correct time. Hmm. So they were mad at him. 
Um, in 2012, spreading lies, spreading lies. Um, in 2012, on the 35th anniversary of the Wow signal, Arecibo Observatory beamed a digital stream toward the area of the signal's origin. The transmission consisted of approximately 10,000 Twitter messages solicited for the purpose by the National Geographic <laughs> Channel, bearing the hashtag. Chasing UFOs. So they were basically trying to send a bunch of messages out to these aliens. They were sending tweets. Could you imagine yeah. like being an extraterrestrial like being population like, and being like, what the fuck is a Twitter? What in the goddamn hell is a UFO? That's my uh, alien voice. Well, they also sent a bunch of videos from celebrities that were like messages to them. And you can find them on YouTube. Which if, celebs? So s- some of them include um, Jorge Garcia, who's Hurley from Lost. Uh, Miss Universe, Layla Lopes, and Stephen Colbert. (laughs) So you can find them on YouTube if you just search, like, uh, National Geographic chasing UFO celebrity message. I really hope that these messages and tweets reached the aliens. And they were like, who? The thing is, aliens don't care about celebrities on Earth. So, like, why would they... No, they're like, who the hell is Stephen Colbert? I really, I'm going to, I didn't look through the Twitter messages. I'm sure people sent, like, ridiculous stuff under chasing UFOs. Okay, so let's talk more about SETI. Um, Like I said, it's a collective term for scientific research for intelligent extraterrestrial life. For example, monitoring electromagnetic radiation for signs of transmissions from civilizations on other planets. Not to be confused with METI, which is messaging extraterrestrial um, intelligence, which is people who, like, like SETI is just trying to, like, anything, trying to find anything. But METI is actually, like, sending messages out to space. Hmm. Hoping that someone responds. Anyone out there? Hello? Okay, so there are a bunch of different astronomical societies that are researching SETI. However, there's a question about should we be trying to reach alien life? Stephen Hawking pointed out that meeting between advanced and less advanced human populations in the past have often not worked out for the less advanced (laughs) population. (laughs) So I think we're assuming that we're going to be the less advanced population. So... Should we be poking the bear? No. We shouldn't. Um, and in my notes, I said, get ready to be colonized by aliens, people. Like, you think, we can't We can't even get along now with each other. We want to add other people into the mix. No. Negative. Unsubscribe. I've unsubscribed from the interest. I feel like it would be, in one way, nice, because the aliens would come and maybe Earth would, like, band together. You know, the aliens colonize all of us, and everyone's like, oh, shit. This is what we've been doing to other people. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we shouldn't be missionaries. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah, what if a bunch of alien missionaries come in and try and convert us to, like, their religion? Think about that. Yeah, think about that, you colonizers. Yeah, think about that when you go to Haiti on your mission trips in high school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, like I said, a bunch of different SETI programs are done by independent institutions. In 1992, NASA launched their own SETI program. However, it was shut down by Congress without an official reason why. Dun, dun, dun. It's speculated that they didn't have the budget and also that people were laughing at the fact that NASA was trying to talk to aliens. Um, Some of the scientific community didn't back it up, so they didn't feel like the Congress didn't want to give money to it because they felt like it was kind of... Not taken seriously. Congress doesn't want to give money to anything that's about education. They know aliens are out there. That's the real reason why that's they the didn't real want to reason. Give money. Yeah. So they've moved all the aliens from Area 51 to somewhere else. That's why they're trying to, you know, we're doing. We we almost got them, guys. We scared them <laughs> when we were about to raid Area 51. 
Okay. <laughs> so the SETI Institute is a not-for-profit research organization whose mission is to explore, understand, and explain the origin and nature of life in the universe and to apply the knowledge gained to inspire and guide present and future generations, which is a nice sentiment, although there will be no present and future generations if aliens come to the planet. And colonize us. <sighs> oh, my so God. Why do we have to be in charge to tell these people that they're doing the wrong thing? I mean, I want to talk to aliens much the next person, but I just feel like we probably shouldn't. Like there's an ego here, right? People on Earth think that we're the most advanced colonization. They think that if we reach out and we find the aliens, that we're going to be the top no. dog. No friggin' way. The aliens are for sure going to come down here and get us and get us. Well, I feel like the people who are like these scientists know that we're not the most intelligent. They have to know. But I don't know what they're doing. They're all dummies. If you know any, I would love to talk to one. I don't care if you're a rocket scientist. You're a friggin' dummy. Um, okay. <laughs> so the SETI Institute has three different centers. There's the Carl Sagan Center, which is devoted to the study of life in the universe. Nice. The Center of Education, which focuses on astronomy, astrobiology, and space science for students and educators. And the Center for Public Outreach, um, which produces big picture science, the Institute's general science radio show and podcast about SETI Talks weekly colloquium series. So nice. big picture science, if you want to hear more about this from people who actually know about it. That's I wonder if my brother knows about this. I should write to him and tell him to listen to this episode. You should see. I would love to go to the SETI Institute. Where is it? Well, there's three different ones. So I feel like I'd want to go to the Carl Sagan Center. That's just me. Cool. Let's I go. forget. I think it's in California. Um, okay. So the SETI Institute is not funded by the government. Um, it's funded through a lot of different uh, grants and donations and fundraising. Thanks, Obama. But sometimes <laughs> uh, NASA does fund SETI Institute research. Uh, same with the National Science Foundation. Cool. So NASA is still kind of involved in SETI, just not officially. Yeah, they got like one or two fingers in the pot. Exactly. Um, they employ over 90 researchers, which isn't that many, no. but they study all aspects on the search for life. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there have been a bunch of different SETI projects throughout the years, none of which have found anything that big that I can see in my research. However, the most recent one is a project called Breakthrough Listen. It's a SETI project. It has $100 million in funding and thousands of hours of dedicated telescope time on state-of-the-art facilities. It is the most comprehensive search for alien communication to date, and it is estimated that the project will generate as much data in one day as previous SETI projects generated in one year. Wow. So if this doesn't find aliens, then we're screwed. Yeah. Then then this is the true test. We are not advanced enough to know if there's aliens out there. Yeah. Sorry. Compared to previous programs, Breakthrough Listen radio surveys cover... Radio surveys cover 10 times more of the sky, at least five times more of the radio spectrum, and work 100 times faster. The optical laser survey is also the deepest and broadest search in history. Deepest and broadest. They're working hard, folks. (laughs) They are rock hard working. They are probing. (laughs) With their deep and hard laser. (laughs) Um, What is wrong with us? Okay, but get this. I'm getting it. Get it. The project is mostly funded by an investor named Yuri Milner, who is an Israeli-Russian entrepreneur who is super rich, obviously. He donated $100 million to this. But, like, he's not a scientist. He's, like, invested in, like, Airbnb and all this other random stuff. So it's like, what's his deal? Why is he doing this? Um, it's backed by Stephen Hawking. So I guess he changed his mind about what he was saying <laughs> earlier. And he's the one who announced the project to the public in 2015. And he said, quote, in an infinite universe, there must be other life. There is no bigger question. It is time to commit to finding the answer. So I guess he changed his mind. Wow. People can change, okay? 
Um, the program will continue for 10 years. It's based at Berkeley SETI Research Center in the Astronomy Department at University of California, Berkeley. Uh, so it's intense. It's a real deal. Yeah, this is like it's the real deal. It's not like yeah. some like no, it's like, not like some guy in Florida's rinky backyard, yeah, yeah, Florida guy. No. Um, the project uses radio wave observations from the Green Bank Observatory and the Parks Observatory, and visible light observations from the Automated Planet Finder. Targets for the project include one million nearby stars and the centers of a hundred galaxies. So they got a lot of ground to cover. All data generated is available to the public. Yay! So you can go online. I love that. Um, there's a something called SETI at home with ampersand, and it's used for the Not data. Ampersand the at sign. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, at sign. Um, it's used for data analysis. So it's an internet-based public volunteer computing project that uses a software to analyze and put together SETI research. So if you're really into like SETI, uh, you can. I think you can just go to SETI at home and download this like. Maybe like a crowdfunded software that everyone puts all their research in. But supposedly Project Breakthrough is putting all their findings online. Do nice. you believe them? That they're putting all their findings? <gasps> I feel like they shouldn't. From their deep probing lasers? Yeah. I don't know. A, da- a, a at-home downloaded software? What are they really after? I don't know. They want to look into our apartments. <laughs> <laughs> don't blame them. Um, Okay, so they have found a couple of things, but they have been able to explain them all as not extraterrestrial life. However, on August 30th in 2017, they found 15 radio bursts coming from a dwarf galaxy about 3 billion light years away. They said the possibility of the source being extraterrestrial life can't be ruled out yet. The radio missions were detected by the Green Bank Telescope in West Virginia. So... We're going. That's that. That's let's get in our rocket ship and let's go to the... You have three billion light years to... Yes. To spare. Obviously. Um, yeah. So that's that. So wow. I, I was kind of hoping there would be more, like... They're not going to tell down. us. Yeah. No, I know they wouldn't. Obviously. The government would shut that down so hard. Yeah, but SETI is, like, private. Like, it's not by the government. It's some if Russian guy. Right. If you don't think that the government, United States or Russian or otherwise, has their fingers in there somehow... Yeah. No, I know. But anyways, that's that. So do you believe in aliens, listeners? I do. I do. I used to be very like, no, I don't. But I mean, like, the universe is so vast and infinite. Like, the fact that we're here, and I'm sitting here looking at my coffee mug and, like, this blinking light, and there's, like, a wire on the ground. and (laughs) We're actually in a spaceship. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like, we all exist, and we have these, like, tiny, like, these minutiae of our life, and, like, we're just on this weird fucking rock planet in the middle of... You don't think there's other weird rock planets in the... There has to be. Doing the exact same thing that we're doing right now. Will we ever talk to them? I don't know if in my lifetime. No. I I don't know if I I want in my lifetime. I mean, we only have 20 years left, so. Well, it's weird to think if aliens do (laughs) um, come here, like, they probably wouldn't look like... They might not look like humans or animals at all. Like, who knows what kind of shape they would... I know. Take on. I know. They could be, like, a mist, like the vampires. Right. Like, we don't even know if they're going to be, like, solid... Or if we could even detect them with our eyes, maybe they're just, like, a sound. Right. That's an alien movie idea. <gasps> or they're just a smell. Nice. That's dangerous. <laughs> like when that guy farted on the train <laughs> the other day. It was truly painful. <laughs> truly, I, That was a truly extraterrestrial experience. <laughs> that could have been an alien. <laughs> that smells like eggs. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I hate it. Um, um, <laughs> if you if you commute on crowded trains, then you know some people have no respect they, for shared enclosed spaces. It's like don't do that. No, God, especially if you know it's going to be a bad one. Yeah, wild. 
Anyway, that's that on that. <laughs> that on that. Uh, this is the Good Evening Girls. Two girls, one crossword. Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> so what is our, what's our tagline? Uh, we're your favorite weekly cross-cast podword. Boom, pod baby. Podword crosscast. Yeah, I like podword crosscast better. Cool. Okay. Um, I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. Thanks for listening to us. You can follow us um, on social media at the Good Evening Girls on Instagram. And at the Good Eve Girls on Twitter. Like, rate, review, write to us, tell us if you fuck shit up. We like to hear from our listeners. We um, literally live for it. Literally. I just sit at Twitter and I refresh it every day. It's true. So please talk to us. We're very lonely. Please. Anybody out there? <laughs> Hello? We've been in the spaceship for 20 years. <laughs> uh, okay. Gotta go. Bye. Bye. Got a blast. Got a blast. <laughs>